You are listening to the Cumberland Road Podcast, and I'm your host, TJ Milanowski. I'm in conversation with guest Reverend Mike Wilkinson. He is the minister at the Knoxville First Cumberland Presbyterian Church in Tennessee. In our conversation, we cover a wide range of Mike's life, time that he became a Christian, his calling into ministry. We talk about him being endorsed as moderator for General Assembly in 2022. We dive deep into understanding his ministry and seeing it as a message of hope, what it means to surrender, and capturing the ability to be able to listen and to learn from others. You are listening to The Cumberland Road, and here is my conversation with Mike Wilkinson. Hello, Mike Wilkinson, and welcome to the Cumberland Road Podcast. Thank you, TJ, for inviting me to be a part of this, I think. Uh, well, to to be determined as we Correct. dive deep into our conversation. The first time I met you, or one of the most early memorable times that I met you, was actually probably about 10 years ago, and it was in Alabama. You were serving a congregation there. And that particular church really opened my eyes to the wonderful dynamics of what it means to be Cumberland Presbyterian and the diversity within that particular congregation and the worship and the fellowship. It's one of those churches that my hope is that we can replicate that kind of atmosphere and welcoming and the desire to to serve Christ. And um, I wanted to start our conversation with what is it like to serve a congregation that covers a theological spectrum, an ideological spectrum, and yet you have all these wonderful disciples and lovers of Christ. Grace Community Church in Millbrook, Alabama is the congregation of which you speak. And uh, that church is probably now 15 years old. Uh, it was a new church development of Grace Presbyterian. I was on the board of missions and even on the task force that oversaw the implementation of it and was the second pastor uh, there. And it is what I believe to be the most unique congregation in the American Cumberland Presbyterian Church anyway, in that it's unique in its diversity. Racially diverse, at least at that time, 30% African-American, but it was politically diverse. Uh, We had uh, folks who had been part of the Tea Party movement and uh, and folks that at the time would have called Obamaites. We had, ex-military people, a lot of retired military people in the area with the Air Force Base there. Uh, and we had uh, leftover 60s hippies. Uh, we, we, had, <laughs> we had people had motor homes that cost more than my house. And we had people living in, in mobile homes uh, that they could barely get by and drawing food stamps. Any way you want to spell diversity, for whatever normal means to Down syndrome children, we had it all. And yet when they walked in that door, the only thing that mattered was they loved Jesus. And it was a phenomenal experience to pastor that. And it wasn't just when they were in that door. Uh, these people hung out with their, with each other. Mm-hmm. You know, They were in each other's homes. And... Uh, and they might have taught politics in their homes. I don't know, not when I was there, but they, they didn't at church and they just melded together. And the unique thing about that, and, and we grew like crazy over, over when we were there, but I could tell by looking at the face of a first time visitor, whether they'd be back or not. 
Some people walked in the door and this is what I've been looking for all of my life. And they were home and they were going to be a part of us and did become a part of us. And others walked in and they were scared to death because they'd never seen such unity and diversity. It was just, it was a wild time. And it was, I don't know if I will ever again have the freedom in the pulpit that I had there. Uh, length, topic, it didn't matter. You, you, you just preached your heart and people responded. This one would sound crazy, but I preached a 20-point sermon one time. <laughs> tithing. Ten reasons not to, so it's very short, and yeah. ten reasons to. So it, it wasn't all that. It was probably 45 minutes for them. 20-point sermon on tithing. At the end of the service, two men in their 40s received Christ as their Savior. I didn't even talk about salvation, but the Spirit of God was such a merit. And it just happened. We've had people join in the middle of the service. They'd interrupt. You know, How do I join this place? And we take them in and finish on. You know, <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was a great place. And I'm glad I'm glad you felt that and you were there too. Yeah, as an as a visitor and as an outsider looking in, one of the things that really um was telling for me and informative that this particular congregation wasn't um, advertising or selling itself as this unique and diverse congregation. It was just just kind of a, a very colorful and rich and complex uh, group of people who were there to worship God. What was it like when you were there to minister with the natural tensions <laughs> that come with such um, different thoughts and beliefs. And even in terms of the growth of a disciple, you know, you're in different stages as you are a Christ follower. And that congregation exemplified that with, um, uh, um, you know, um, long-term disciples of Christ and those who were brand new to the faith. Yes. Again, back to the diversity. Any way you could spell diversity, we qualified. What it was like, particularly when I first arrived, was liberating. Mm. Again, I mentioned the freedom in the pulpit, but it was just liberating. You got to be, everybody got to be who they are in Christ. There weren't, wasn't any mold that you're trying to shape your folks into. Mm. It, it was this freedom in Christ. Now, by freedom, I don't mean license to sin and, and all that kind of stuff. I'm just talking about the freedom to be who God created you to be. Yeah. And, uh, and if that meant you got excited in worship and you raised your hands or or you, you shouted amen or whatever, or you were totally quiet, it didn't matter. It didn't matter. Uh, we had a ton of kids, 40 or 50 kids, uh, elementary school kids and younger, every every Sunday. And uh, it, was, it was a contemporary music service. Mm -hmm. And uh, some of the special needs kids would get so excited during the music that we almost had a mosh pit of these <laughs> Six, seven, eight-year-olds down there jumping and excited because Spirit of Christ is in the room. Mm -hmm. And, you know, our 90-year-olds, and yes, even in that contemporary settings, new church, we had an abundance of, of senior citizens. They didn't care. In fact, they thought it was wonderful. Would they have ever raised their hand, clapped, or jumped? No, but they thought it was wonderful. So that that mutual respect of each other was a, was a very freeing thing. And like I say, I could tell on the looks that folks walked in, whether, whether they liked it or they didn't. <laughs> let me tell you, freedom's a scary thing. Yeah. yeah. Freedom, you know, at least half the folks came didn't come. But here's another neat thing about that, that place. And I know we didn't aim to spend so much time at Grace Community Church, but it, it is 
phenomenal place and still is, though I've been gone eight plus years now. Uh, we participated in a local weekly food ministry there in town. And when people would come into the Welcome Center, uh, we would give them food. But we always sit down in individual rooms at a table or desk with the folks who come in. And we ask this question, is there anything I can pray for you about? And 99% of the time, they've, they've got something. Occasionally, no, not nothing in particular. Well, then you ask, well, can I pray anyway? And uh, But anyhow, again, 99.9% .9 of the time, the answer is yes. Occasionally, somebody would say no, but not often. You didn't impose. You, you, you were polite, and you tried to pray for the needs in their life. And dozen churches in, in, the, in the community participated in this thing. And I got to listen to members of other churches tell the clients of the Welcome Center about Grace Community Church and how you could find a home there. Mm. And that was exciting because they knew who we were. It was also sad because they were probably saying, I'm sorry, you're not welcome at our church. Now, that, that's my interpretation of that. But yeah. they knew, no matter who they were, they'd be welcome in our church. And they were. And so we had many uh, mixed race families and biracial children that weren't welcome in the in the African American church or the the uh, Caucasian church in Southern Alabama, but they were welcome at Grace, and the community knew it and supported us. How did your service there as a minister? How did that change your ministry? How did that enrich your ministry? How is that impacting where you are serving now? I don't, I don't know that it changed my ministry as much as it enriched my ministry, to use your, your second choice of word. And I'm thinking, you know, my wife occasionally uh, takes the crock pot and puts a chuck roast in it and some potatoes and carrots and stuff and and you, know, you cook that, and, and you got the broth, but that broth's not quite gravy. And so, you know, sometimes you may use cornstarch, sometimes flour, sometimes even a pack of ground gravy mix. But you, you add that to it, and that broth is enriched into this wonderful gravy that I'd rather have than the meat and potatoes. <laughs> I'm a gravy guy. Um, I think that's what Grace community did me it enriched me in that it it touched every fiber of my being but it just helped me be who i am more than i was if that makes sense it yeah. didn't change it didn't fundamentally change me it just allowed who i am to come to the front and i've always been one that tried to be who i am wherever i've been but now i'm i am after serving there, I am more enriched than I've ever been. Part of that, I, I would think, would be it's almost a permission giving. Um, God giving us permission to really live and breathe the gifts and the skills that are in there and, and maybe discover them for the first time. Um, so... Those are rare opportunities, but wonderful nonetheless when they happen, whether you're a minister or not, just human being. I'll say this too. It allowed me to practice what I said I believed. Mm. It's one thing to say you believe in, in equality and diversity and, and things like that, but it's another thing to live in it and have to practice it. Yeah. And so that was, that was the neat thing. It, it allowed me to practice what I've always said I believed. Well, how long have you been a believer? I had a previous guest. This is a phrase I've never used before. I've heard it, uh, but I've never used it. Are you a cradle Christian, or did you come to faith at some other point in your life? I'm not totally comfortable with the cradle Christian thing, but I understand the context in which it's coming from. I am definitely not a cradle Christian. 
the, how long I've been a Christian may be debatable in, your, in <laughs> some people's mind after I tell their story. And I, okay. I thought about this a lot over the last week, knowing that we would eventually get to this in, in the podcast. Uh, I grew up in a non-Christian home. Uh, in fact, I grew up with a with an alcoholic, abusive father in a non-Christian home. The only thing I knew about church or Christ would have been uh, if I spent a weekend with either set of my grandparents, we were going to church on Sunday morning. And, and that was it. Uh, well, bad in, in Bible school, which leads me to my story. About eight years old, my uh, grandmother lived in Knoxville, and that's where I am now. Um, Bible school was taking place. This is back in the days when Bible school was nine to 12, you know, because you had enough uh, stay-at-home moms and grandmoms to pull that off. And uh, my, my grandmother was the, was one of the cookie ladies at every Bible school. And so uh, we stayed at her house all week. And so I could go to Bible school every day. And on Friday of that week, and I'm eight years old, uh, and I'm so old that Campus Crusades for Spiritual Laws was brand new. So <laughs> our, we had two ladies teach our vacation Bible school class. And one of them, that Friday of the, of the end of Bible school, read through the Campus Crusades for Spiritual Laws. And then she asked if, if any of us want to give our hearts to Christ. And me and another boy named Doug raised our hands. So she invited us to go upstairs with her to the sanctuary. And we sat down there on the, on the steps of the altar and she said, let's pray. Now, I never prayed before. I didn't grow up in Christian. I didn't know anything about prayer. She didn't lead us in a prayer. She didn't do anything. A few minutes of silence. She said, amen. Well, I had just sat there. And she said, how do you feel? And Doug said, I feel like I've been on an airplane ride. <laughs> I've never been on an airplane. She asked me. I said, me too. I didn't <laughs> want to miss nothing, right? So that was that was my come to Jesus moment, I think. Several years later, I'm now 13. And we are at a revival service at my grandmother's and my mom is at mom and sister are actually with me. Not my dad. He's not yet become a believer, but my mom and sister actually went because this is not after supper. Mom didn't want to have to drop us off, come back and pick us up. She'll just stay. Right. Well, when the invitation was giving, it's just like, I let go of the pew and I'm up front. I don't know how, I, I don't remember walking. I don't remember anything. I talked to the preacher and he led me in the, quote unquote sinner's prayer. And as an aside, I've come to strongly dislike that notion of the sinner's prayer because it gives a lot of people false assurance. But nonetheless, he led me in the sinner's prayer and I was baptized the next Sunday night. But as I got older, and once I'm actually in the ministry, as I have pondered that come to Christ moment, I am convinced in my own heart that at eight years old, without uttering a prayer, all I knew is I wanted Jesus, and he touched me. And that's why five years later, with few opportunities to be at church in between, five years later, I walked that aisle because he touched me when I was eight. And I said yes without having any of the mumble jumbo of the prayers. So I think I've now been a Christian for 54 years which is a long time. Well, that depends on perspective. Some people may say that's not long enough. <laughs> I've got, yeah, I hope it's not long enough. I, I have no reservations about going to heaven. I'm just not ready to get on the, on the bus today. <laughs> so in your um, growing up years, and you make a profession of faith, how did that impact... Um, your relationship with your school friends um, and your family and in the household? It, um, the biggest thing in the, in the household is, is it gave me hope in the midst of hardship. 
um, it's not politically correct language anymore, but I had a heavenly father who loved me in spite of a abusive father who routinely beat me. Mm. Um, that, that was an awesome thing. Um, on the side here, when I first started seminary, one of our professors, Dr. Carr, would start the class by asking the student to, to lead in prayer. And I did one night, and I said something about Heavenly Father in, in the course of the prayer. And when we went to break, three of my classmates, uh, young ladies, addressed me in the hall and, and told me how offended they were that I called God Father. And um, then proceeded to tell me that not everybody had the ideal father like you did. And I thought, oh, ladies, mm, we, we got to talk some more than you just telling me this. I didn't have an ideal father. I had a horrible father. And it's knowing I had a heavenly father who loved me is what got me through it. And it did. And I'm not speaking to political correctness whatsoever, but that's, that's me. That's what got me through that. So knowing that made life much more bearable. And it also allowed me to forgive my dad, even when it was still going on. It allowed me to pray for my dad. And when my dad was 49 years old, he gave his life to Christ. Hmm. Were you able to be there? I was there. You know, I've been praying for him for years, and uh, I'm 22 years old now. And uh, he decided he wanted to go to church one Sunday night. And I went, Billy, tonight you want to go? You've been off drinking. I can spell the bear on your breath. Tonight you want to go to church? But he did. So we got in the car. And he and I, and my sister, my sister was involved in church once I, once I was because she could ride with me and things like that. We went to church and uh, he gave his life to Christ that night. The smell of beer on him. We had the opportunity to stop at his mom's house, my grandmother's house, on the way home. He wanted to tell her. And I'll never forget this. She said, Ray, I have prayed for this moment every single day of your life. So I got to be there for that. None of that would have happened if, if, if Christ hadn't allowed me to be able to forgive and pray for him. Now, I prayed for him. As far as all this from my grandmother, but... Christ allowed that forgiveness to take place. And that's a change that we'll never lose. Mm. That's powerful, Mike. Yeah, well, I didn't mean to cry, but I do that a lot. <laughs> I think growing older allows us to open up a little bit more, maybe especially as males, and uh, be able to share our emotions and and feelings. Mike, when did you experience a call to ministry? I'm 15 years old. Uh, I'm part of Grove Hill Baptist Church here in Knoxville that no longer exists, but uh, part of that church. And our pastor had carried four of our teenagers, including myself, and that was the whole youth group, had carried us to Pigeon Forge to some youth rally. Friday night, all day Saturday, and even into Sunday. And at Saturday night's youth rally, I felt God calling me to preach. And but invitation was given. I went down. I got to tell 400 screaming teenagers and all the chaperones there that God had called me to preach at the age of 15. That's on Saturday night. Sunday morning, we did not stay for the Sunday activities because little small church didn't have no youth person. It was just the preacher up there with us, us four. So we had to get back to Knoxville in time for church. And we pulled in the parking lot and, of the church, and he lived in the parsonage is what they called it. It could have should have been called a shack. <laughs> it 
it was it was embarrassing that a church would allow a minister to live in that. We pulled up in his 15-year-old beat-up station wagon, got out. He starts walking across the parking lot to run over to the to the shack to change clothes from for Sunday school and church. And I see holes in the bottom of his shoes. And I go to rethinking what I had thought the night before. That particular Sunday night, he had us, and on Sunday night, we had a small crowd. So he'd bring the little crowd rostrum down and set it on one side of the, we had a small crowd Sunday morning too, but <laughs> smaller crowd on Sunday night, set it on one side of the church. And he decided to let us kids tell about our trip. Mm-hmm. And so I stood up there and I hemmed and I hauled and I awed a lot and uh that God has called me into some type of full-time Christian service. Surely it doesn't mean preaching. Yeah, you're thinking about those holes in the shoes. Yes. Yeah. And and I love that man even today. He's a friend today. He is I went on to be a prison chaplain, so a prison chaplain married my wife and I. But uh I don't understand why he let me get away with that, but he did. <laughs> and uh so but at 15 I was called. At age 32, my wife and I living here still in Knoxville and uh, we're going to clean out the garage. Uh, I need to convert part of the garage into a playroom for our little girls. And uh, our church is having a yard sale. So we need to decide what we're going to take to church, what we're going to take to dump, what we're going to keep. Uh, I do not recommend cleaning out a garage with your spouse. If you are one, as I am, throw away anything and you're one like her that's a hoarder, it is a very frustrating, aggravating experience. <laughs> so after a couple hours of attempting to do this, I am mad. And I declare, I'm going inside and watch TV. When you decide what you want to go to the dump, let me know and I'll haul it to the dump. So inside I go. Well, a couple more hours go by and she's ready for me to go to the dump. So now we're in the afternoon late afternoon and I come out and there's, you know, a shoebox full of stuff. I put it in the back of my truck and I head to the county dump to throw it in the dumpsters there within a mile and a half of our house. And I do that and I don't want to go back home. I'm mad. And uh, so I decided I'm going to go get me something to eat. And about two miles down the road, go right back by our house and uh, be in Farragut today, uh, it wasn't the city of Farragut back then, but <laughs> today, there was uh, there's a McDonald's and there's a Wendy's and there's a Burger King and a Lone John Silver's. None of that looked good. So I turned around and I went back up the highway the other way, about eight miles to Cedar Bluff area, where those same four restaurants sit. And it didn't look good there either because, you know, I'm hungry, but I'm mad and I don't, you know, I can't be satisfied. I don't know if nobody else has been in that position, I'm sure. So I decided, well, I'm going to go back home. So I get back home and it's about seven o'clock. And I turn in our subdivision and I have this realization. There is a United Methodist Church in our subdivision. When our subdivision was being developed, somebody brilliantly went in there and bought uh, a series of lots that was in the very heart of that subdivision and uh, started a church. And uh, so I'm going to pull in there and I'm going to pray a few minutes, get my head right so that we can come home probably apologize even though I didn't want to, all that kind of stuff, and not go through the night feeling like I'm feeling now. Well, five hours later, although it seemed like less than five minutes, five hours later of praying, somehow, and I still can't tell you today over 30 years later how, somehow I had acknowledged my call and surrendered to the ministry this time. I was called at 15, but I surrendered at 32. Now, that had come up several times over the years. You know, Lord would remind me of it, and I'd beat it down. And I was the best, oh, man, every preacher I ever had loved me because I was there for work days. I was there for visitation, you name it, teach Sunday school, whatever you need. I am there always saying, now, God ain't this enough, you know, but turns out it wasn't. And so 
I go to pull out of that parking lot and I look to the left and I see a light on at a house. I drive down there and sure enough, it's the house I was hoping it was. This guy was our volunteer, uh, youth Sunday school teacher back when I was called the ministry and turned it down. Turns out that light was in the third bedroom, which is now his office because the boys had grown. He was doing a Saturday night special bivocational preacher at that same church. I, I love that phrase. Uh, let me let me interrupt you for a minute. For those who don't know what a Saturday night special is, which is a good thing, but tell yeah. tell the listeners what a Saturday night special is. Saturday night special is you've had no time all week or the Lord has given you nothing all week and you are desperate for Sunday morning and you're throwing something together. <laughs> and it's already midnight and I peck on that window at his door, window of his office and Tom comes with me and we spend two more hours talking and uh, I'm going to interrupt my story to tell you that not that's because it's already Sunday morning, but the following Sunday morning, I had the opportunity to preach at Grove Hill Baptist Church. Mm. So I went in on that Sunday morning and I took that choir rostrum, the same one, 15 years, 17 years later, carried it down to the parsonage at the same spot in front of half the church, set it down, and picked up my call. Then went back and preached the sermon in the pulpit. Anyway, tossed the time for two hours. Now, Joanna and I had now been married 10 years. She knows nothing about my call because I didn't meet her to three years, four years after my call. She knows nothing. I've never told another soul. I just beat that down on the inside and leave it there so nobody else can convince me to do different. Two o'clock in the morning, I arrive home and I'm immediately disappointed that she's not sitting on the front steps wondering where I am. <laughs> this is back before cell phones were, were in everybody's pocket. So I go in and she's sound asleep in, in the bed. So I sit down on the bed and she doesn't move. So I stand up and and I sit down hard. She doesn't she doesn't waver. Now now I stand up and get ready for bed. And as I'm going to get in the bed, I decided I'm going to flop in this bed. I mean I did a dive. You know, and this is no memory foam mattress. You want to spill your your cup of wine? I promise. <laughs> I do a dive in the bed and she grunted. So I knew she, now she's laying face down or on her belly and her head to the side. She sort of partly cracks one eye, said, you're home. I said, yeah. She said, good. And she shuts that eye. And I said, I got to talk to you. What? I didn't even open. What? I said, uh, God's called me to preach. Okay. I said, you don't understand. That means we're going to have to sell our house. We're going to have to move to West Tennessee. We're going to have to do all this stuff. Yeah, whatever. Okay. And she's back asleep. Well, it probably took me the better part of an hour to get to sleep. So now it's had to three. <clears throat> it's Sunday morning. I wake her up at five o'clock so we can get ready for church. <laughs> we don't have to get up five o'clock to get ready for church. But I had to talk to her. So I wake her up. What are you doing? We need to get ready for church. Not this early. Well, we got to talk. About what? I said, did you hear anything I said last night? She said, yes. I said, and you're okay with it? She said, yes. I said, what did I say? Because I know she's making this up. There's no way. She said, God's called you to preach, and we're going to have to sell the house and move. Hmm. I didn't know it at the time, but several months earlier, he had already told her. Mm. Anyway, so that was my call. The next morning, I tell pastor at, at the Union Cumberland here in Knoxville, Leonard Turner, who, by the way, is about to celebrate his 50th year. And, uh, anyway, I, I told Leonard about it, and I don't know. Within the week, I'm meeting with the committee on the ministry. And before we ever go to the Presbyterian meeting in October, I have received a call of the church in West Tennessee. <laughs> <laughs> and the Lord just, I mean, 
he had only been working on Joanna. He had everything lined up and poof, there, there we were. Wow. I had a call in a huge delay before finally surrendering to the call. Mike, you were talking about um, your calling in the ministry. Um, Finus Ewing, one of our founders of the Cumberland Presbyterian Church, he spoke about a call into ministry. And he said, every minister of the gospel whom God approves as such is the subject of a distinct, particular, and special internal call to responsible work. Now, I find that very compelling. So I'm going to lay this on you. Oh. What is your distinct, particular, and special call into ministry? How would you define it? I'm always hesitant to do anything like this because I don't want to come across as, as bragging or egotistical. But I, I think giving hope. Giving hope. In, uh, to dig deeper, in what way? Well, anywhere from a couple having relational issues, and uh, it could be parents struggling with a rebellious child. Uh, it could be a church in, 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 in need of renewal. Uh, it's, it's just, I'm not a defeatist. I always see possibilities. And, and I, I keep pointing out possibilities and what could be. Now, what could be requires hard work. I'm working on a sermon for Sunday now, not doing a Saturday night special. Uh, <laughs> and I've titled it Teamwork, but it's about Nehemiah and building the wall and how he, you know, he had a, with all these people to, to work together. But when you work together, impossible things can can take place right. and that's that's true if it's you know uh, a couple that are married and struggling or, or or whatever does it mean it will always be perfect no does it mean that sometimes that couple may not decide may decide on on divorce anyway possibly but i try to inflict hope in, in what i do well the gospel is couched in hope. Yes. In many ways, if we are able to articulate and practice that hope, we are displaying the gospel. My little messages of hope are always incomplete and broken and cracked and blurry, and but I try my best to exhibit the hope that is found in, in Christ. Amen. I, and I ask you in terms of, I think the further along we go as Christians, and back to Finus Ewing's quote, the further along we are in ministry, we should be able to say, this is, this is what I bring to the kingdom here on earth. This is the gifts and the skills that um, I have been blessed with, that we have been blessed with. So I don't think it's an arrogant thing. I'm also asking about your faith journey. So, of course, you have to talk about yourself, Mike. <laughs> well, that part you do. <laughs> you were asking what I do well. My family would say nothing. Uh, we were talking off mic before we got started about the um, importance of, of seeing and experiencing the presence of God in our life presently. And um, I ask many guests on this podcast, uh, where is God present and working in your life today? And I'm going to, first of all, give you a, a pastoral answer. All right. Is that I see God at work in our congregation. Um, 
And and to interject, this is uh, first Knoxville Cumberland Presbyterian Church yes, in in East Tennessee. Correct. Um, COVID was hard on a lot of places. It was hard on us, particularly the seven weeks we didn't meet. But the blessings that came out of the struggle of COVID, and we are a congregation that did not lose anyone to COVID. We had several sick and infected, but we did not lose anyone. So, and that itself is a huge blessing, but we learned some things about ourselves in COVID and being forced not to meet. We learned that, hey, we kind of like getting together. We kind of like each other. Uh, (laughs) We missed them and we want to be with them. And so as we begin to open back up and, and do things more fully, there's some things we are not yet doing that we were doing pre-COVID and probably will not resume because as we're resuming, people are asking, well, can we do this? And can we do that? We have three new study and fellowship groups going throughout the week, not on Sunday morning, that the people ask, can I do this? And I've, I've always tried to be a permission granting, you know, None of these things. We didn't go to session and go, can can we have a Bible study at somebody? You know, we just, yeah, if you want to do it, do it. Right. And, um, and, and get out of the way. Get out of the way. And, 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 uh, but the, the initiative and drive of the people is, is where I see God, God at work. Uh, one, one of my standing prayers and, and it's, part of my pastoral prayer every Sunday. And it's not meant just to be conceived words that are repeated like it's some logo, but it's, you know, Lord, make us more and more and more like Jesus every day. And I'm seeing our people become more and more like Jesus in their care for others and their nurture for others. We're part of a food ministry here. We show up on, on Saturday mornings to bag groceries uh, during the month of April is, is, is our month. And, and, you know, we don't donate enough money to buy $5,000 worth of groceries. Then we go pack them up to go out. And, you know, I've got 25 people there packing groceries. Well, you need six or eight, but 25 is awesome, you know, because they want to do. So I see God working in the lives of our people, which is my life, too. Uh, but that's that's my pastoral answer. Uh, how do I see God working today in my life? He is equipping me to be a pastor of people who have hope instead of a people who need to find hope. When I, when I came here eight years ago, Knoxville was in decline, big decline. It was struggling. The session debated, do we continue or give it one more try? Obviously settled on one more try. And so I came in with my hope guns a-blazing. <laughs> now, now God is, and, and we, we, we have hope. Uh, uh, and we ha- we, we've seen Oh, I don't like the word success. We've seen fruit come to come to bear, and um, and so now it's one thing to to climb to achieve hope. It's another thing to maintain it. So he's half he's having to. God is working with me, trying to show me how to maintain what we built. You know, football coaches particularly would tell you. It's a whole lot harder to stay on top of the mountain than it is to climb it. And that's 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 where I think God is is working in me now, showing me how to not that we're on top of the mountain, but you know, we more like a stair step. And, you know, you step up a level, ah, that's well, almost better than where we were. Let's go another one or two. But yeah, you know, we don't have to get all the way top of the stairs. We, we we're pretty comfortable right here. So now I gotta Try to figure out how to 
uh, allow God to lead me so I can lead these folks to go farther upstairs. Yeah, I've been thinking a lot, um, and this may be a North American way of, in terms of achievement and setting goals and accomplishing goals, I'm wondering if that needs to be revisited, that of that arrival, that going and meeting and being at a place of destination, maybe it's more about the way and the path and the journey than the actual arrival or achievement. And um, I think that conveys kind of the faith journey that Cumberland Road has is there may not be a destination, but let's talk about the journey along the way. And I really like doing this podcast to hear people's journeys and to hear transformative relationships and lives. That's a hard one for me to reorient my life um, because it seems success uh, is such a driving force, I think, for human beings. And you measure that success by the accomplishments or the goals. And then you, you bring in multiple people, a community of faith, and to, to be able to move together physically and spiritually, maybe that's the focus of the journey and not the destination. I don't know. I'm still working that out, but what you had said made me, made me think about that. Well, we are in church life. We are an easily satisfied group. If, uh, now, if we're under financial struggle, we're we, as a congregation, we 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 uh, we panic, think we've got to get us a new preacher. That's all we need, <laughs> and it's never been there. That that is really the solution. Later, they're still struggling. You know? <laughs> yeah. uh, but if things are if if the bills are being paid, there's a few folks here. Uh, you know, we got somebody play piano. Uh, we can tolerate bad preaching and we're, we're pretty satisfied people. We shouldn't be, uh, you know, if, if Jesus is the vine, we're the branches, we're to be bearing fruit and, uh, continue to go the fruit of the spirit there. You know, Paul's nine, nine fruit there of love and joy and peace and gentleness and patience, which I have never mastered. I will be several eons into eternity, probably before the patience thing, but um, we are to become again back to my prayer more and more and more like Jesus. That's the journey. The journey is not to have ten thousand people attending Knoxville First Church. Uh, the journey is to become more and more like Jesus myself. And as I become more and more like Jesus, the people following me will become more and more like Jesus. Either that or they veer off and go somewhere else. Like I said about the Grace Community Church, it wasn't for everybody. Mm-hmm. But if, if you want to become more and more like Jesus, and that's the, you know, we in the Caucasian American church, particularly here in the South, we're really good about quoting Romans 8, 28. But we forget to go on to verse 29 and following where he tells us that the purpose of him working all things to our good is to conform us into the image of his son. God's ultimate goal for all of us is to be like Jesus. And if that's not our goal, we can even begin to get there. And it is a lifetime journey of faith. And it's, it's not that everybody's walking lockstep. We're in various stages of that faith. Now, some people are just starting on the trail. They, they gave their life to Christ this morning was over coffee where somebody was sharing Christ with them. They're at the head of the trail just getting started. Others of us, we're, we're towards the end of the trail. We <laughs> can almost see those pearly gates from here. Uh, and that's okay, but we're, we're all along that trail. And it's, it is the narrow way, but it's a wider path. And most of us want to acknowledge, uh, 
You don't have to follow in my footsteps. You can walk in front of me, ahead of me, beside me. But we're all trying to be more like Jesus. Yeah, and if I'm not moving fast enough, just push me out of the way. I, I'll get back up. I'll, <laughs> I'll get back up. But don't let me get in your way. <laughs> Mike, you had mentioned the people. We've talked a lot about the people, the people of faith. What ideas, what hopes, what dreams do you have for the people, the church? The church universal, uh, Knoxville First Church, Cumberland Presbyterian Church. What question are we asking here? Yes. <laughs> yeah, I knew that was going to be your answer. <laughs> now I'm a prophet as well. No. <laughs> uh, you uh, can address all three. You can choose one. I think by and large, my answer would fit all all three. It would, it would need little tweaks and all. But uh, several years ago, I developed a purpose statement um, for the congregation I was was uh, serving at the time, and and uh, it's a fourfold statement, and I'll, I'll quote it here in reference to Knoxville First Church, but you could just the, the Church Universal, whatever particular church whoever's listening to us belongs to, the Cumberland Presbyterian Church, whatever, but. For the glory of God, Knoxville First Cumberland Presbyterian Church exists. That's the very beginning. For the glory of God. We don't, we don't exist for our own self-edification. We don't exist for me to have a place to work. We don't, we don't exist even for you to come and worship. Now, that's part of the glory of God, but we exist for his glory. So for the Glory of God, Gospel First Cumberland Presbyterian Church exists to worship Christ, to evangelize the lost, to love one another and our neighbor, and to learn more about our God. Those four words are worship, evangelize, love, and learn. That forms an acronym for WELL. My desire is for Gospel First Cumberland Presbyterian Church, the Cumberland Presbyterian Church as in the denomination, the church universal is for us to be well, to be healthy. Healthy churches naturally grow. You know, if, if you have you have a, a toddler not growing, you go to the doctor and see what's wrong because healthy toddlers grow. Healthy churches naturally grow. So my desire is, is for every aspect of the church to be healthy, to be well. Sadly, we're not. Any any ad, any advice, any perspective that you would share that speaks to an unhealthy church, universal, specific congregation or denomination to move into the healthy realm? What would be a good first step? I, I know you've alluded to through the bullet points, but... Where do you begin? Surrender. Most unhealthy congregations have an unhealthy power structure. Hmm. Somebody's in charge. And they want it to go one way. And other people want it to go another way. Everybody's got to surrender. It's not your way. It's for the glory of God. It's not your way. So I think surrender is the first step. It's the first step for a kind for an individual. You know, I'm I'm in, in my call story. I was called at 15. I didn't surrender until I was 32. Now, does that mean God worked against me for 17 years? No. He blessed me in unmeasurable ways during that time. Mm-hmm. My wife. My first two kids, my wife, who did not hesitate to say yes when the time came, the first two kids, one of which is now a Cumberland Presbyterian minister, uh, he had blessed me along the way. But I never had the sense of satisfaction and fulfillment that came with surrender. Now, what are we working for when we won't surrender? We're working for our own happiness, our own satisfaction, our, our, our own way. But 
the answer is not found in making everybody do what we want. The answer is found in surrendering to Christ and let him work. So I think the, the first thing is, is to surrender. And in our American culture, that's a hard thing to accomplish. It may be tough to do in other places. I don't know. I've never lived there. I've visited a lot of them, but I've never lived there. So I imagine human nature, period, is hard to surrender. But in our culture here, where we pride ourselves on being rugged individualists and the captain of our own destiny, uh, that's the best way I know to live in a stressed out world. And uh, that's what we do live in, by the way. Just look around. But uh, surrender. I say this with humor and with um, seriousness. You have surrendered or been nominated for moderator of the 101st, no, I'm sorry, 191st General Assembly this year. As we speak, you have had either the privilege or the detriment of running unopposed. So in terms of thinking of a campaign speech or moderator speech, what gifts, what skills would you bring to this role if you were elected? I have pondered that and wondered if I have any. And I have not begun working on any, any speech either. Um, let me first of all say that I'm honored beyond measure to be to be endorsed, not technically nominated yet till we get to the floor of General Assembly, but be endorsed by my presbytery, the very presbytery that ordained me all those years ago. <laughs> presbytery that should know better. Um, <laughs> I think what I can offer as moderator, and, and, and let me back up again, that's, that's not a position I sought. I didn't ask anybody to endorsed me. I was called and asked uh, by Dr. Thomas Campbell if, if, he, if he could endorse me. Um, so it's, it's not something I was really aspiring to, per se. <laughs> uh, and my philosophy has been I will serve where asked if possible. So mm. I, I told him yes. And, and so, but I think what I can offer is the ability to listen to all sides of an issue. Now, do I have some predetermined values? Yes. But one of my values says I have to listen to others. By the way, that's something that only Christ could teach me because you've never met a more pig-headed, stubborn individual than me, unless it be my wife. But, uh, and somehow two pig-headed, stubborn people have made it 40 years. But uh, anyway, uh, that that is a change in me that, that he had to make. But I can listen to all people, even people I disagree with. I can listen and I can learn. I may never come to their side, but I learn, and one of the things I learned is to have compassion on those who have a different view than me. Mm-hmm. And again, that's that's something Christ has, has done in me. Uh, I preached a sermon here, uh, I don't know how long it's been, back at election time, uh, you know, as the whole country is divided. And, and I, I preached a sermon on how both sides are just going crazy, you know. You, 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 you can't be a Christian and be a Democrat because uh, they support abortion. You can't be a Christian and be a Republican because they don't like the poor and don't help the, you know, you know it's, it's, it, it's got to stop. We, we got to first of all be Christ. And I didn't know this at the time. But we had some elderly men in our congregation that were mad at each other over this stupid election. Couldn't believe that fool could believe the way that fool believes. After the service, I discovered them in the parking lot 
hugging and crying because they could now respect somebody else's opinion, even they didn't dis- didn't even if they did not agree with it. Now I'm crying again. But <laughs> anyway, I think that's something that I bring. You know, anybody with any parliamentary skills at all can moderate the meeting that day. Uh, you know, that Thursday of General Assembly and all the reports are, are given. Just takes a little bit of skill. Hopefully, I've got some of that. I've moderated <laughs> a lot of things from Senate to Presbyterians to sessions. So hopefully, I can do that. Ministry Council. Yeah. Uh, hopefully, I can do that. But the ability to listen others to others, particularly those you disagree with, mm-hmm. the power of being able to listen and to learn, and you said show compassion. All right, I'm going to take us on a much lighter. Um, Good. My so eyes can, are still cloudy. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, are there books, movies, songs in your life from long ago or recently that have impacted or are impacting your faith in life? Well, I'm going to mention one that I know uh, you just interviewed Rebecca Prinshaw, who's, who's uh, on staff here with yeah. me. And, and she mentioned this because in our off-air stuff you did too, but it's a book called Transforming Prayer and um, how everything changes when we seek God's face. And we're, I'm in the midst of that study, but it is it is a great book and, and, and it may change your perspective on prayer, uh, whoever chooses to read and, and, and study it. And it talks about seeking first the face of God instead of the hand of God. And so much of our prayers are, Lord, I need this, or so-and-so sick and blessed. You know, we've gone with that grocery list of prayers. And Scripture endorses bringing our, our, our needs and our wants and desires to God. But first seek his face. Go, go to God in praise and worship. And then we we discover something. Our grocery list of prayers changes. Now the needs didn't so much change, but our grocery list changes. As we seek his face, our prayers become, Lord, make me more like Christ. Not give me a raise or whatever. We will still lift up others in, in prayer. I don't mean to imply that, but, you know, years ago when I was a teenager, I think it was pretty popular and it's probably even still around, but there was a bumper sticker that used to say, uh, prayer changes things. And that's true. But I think the important thing is, is prayer changes the prayer. And, and this, this book, it's not telling me nothing I didn't know. You know, I can go off to seminars and conferences. Very seldom do I learn anything new or can remember anything <laughs> But it, it just reminds and reinforces us the things we already knew that somehow fall off to the side. So right now that book is, is pretty high on, on my list. But my all-time favorite book um, well, that's not even the right term, favorite, but most life-changing, influential book I ever read. And this is pre-ministry. I read a book by Charles Swindoll called Grace Awakening. My experience in church with my grandparents and then my initial experience after being baptized was, was in a small Southern Baptist church that taught legalism with the best of them. And so I was a confirmed legalist. Then I ended up at Union Cumberland Presbyterian Church, and I learned a lot about grace. And it was in my tenure at Union over 35 years ago that I read this book. And I had listened to Chuck Swindoll on the radio so much that when I read this book, I heard his voice. That was a little freaky, but <laughs> anyway, uh, 
So, Mike, you're a recovering legalist. I, I hope I am a recovered legalist. Okay. <laughs> but it may be like alcoholism. Once a, once a legalist, always a legalist. So maybe I am recovering, but I, I hope I am recovered. But Grace Awakening was the most life-changing book I've ever mm-hmm. read. The first book that you mentioned, you it's called Transforming Prayer. Yes. Is that correct? And the author Daniel is... Anderson is the uh, author. Okay. And I never heard of him until I got the book. Well, we've talked quite a bit about journeys. We've talked about the movements of God and callings. Mike, your faith journey is continuing after we finish this podcast. For those who have listened to your faith journey, um, and would like to know more about it, get to know more about you, where would you like to point people to reach out to you? Well, uh, one easy way, I guess, would be go to uh, our congregational website, which is, um, you can either Google First, Knoxville First Cumberland and come up, or I can give you that if, if you want it. Uh, it's, it's simply www.first-cumberland.org. That'll take you to our website. We're on Facebook. We're on YouTube. You can uh, learn about us there. Uh, on, on the website, you'll find my email address and my cell number, and obviously the church number, so I'll, I'll talk to anybody anywhere. All right. Uh, and you I, I particularly me. like talking in person. It hasn't <laughs> been too awful bad doing the the Zoom thing today, but my my hand gets tired of holding the phone. That's all right. Right. But if and, you have and, ears, I will talk. And Knoxville First um, has your worship services on YouTube. Yes. You have a Facebook page. And uh, Mike is a member of the Ministry Council of the Cumberland Presbyterian Church. And you're also the current moderator of the Presbytery of East Tennessee. That is correct. And so if you're ever in the Knoxville area, um, look up Reverend Mike Wilkinson. Thank you so much for being raw and honest, vulnerable, and humorous all the same with your (laughs) self-awareness. I I appreciate that greatly, but I think I said something earlier that I I always try to be who I am. And I think grace helped me be who I am more fully, maybe, but I always try to be who I am. I'm the same on this podcast as I am in the pulpit, as I am in person, as I am at home. It, at, least I, at least I think I am anyway. <laughs> other, others may argue, but uh, <laughs> if I'm yeah. not me, then I'm just pretending, and I've never been too pretentious. All right. Well, thank you, Mike. Thank you for sharing your day with me. You're welcome. Appreciate it. And thank you for listening to today's podcast. Grab a friend and travel with me on the next journey down Cumberland Road.